0: What folks? Core J, Lucas Tokuingwa, and welcome to the first "Who You Come Home" podcast. Yes, we're we're starting something new here. So, um, a couple of things. Why we've started this podcast is I am passionate about Aotearoa. Uh, I am passionate about um, the stories of Jesus, um, and I'm story uh, and I'm passionate about. Uh, the, I guess the intersection of uh, the Christian faith and our New Zealand culture and our history and a Māori worldview. Um, so I have wanted to put a resource out there for people that people can come and have a listen about what some people are thinking about those things, about the Christian faith, about a Māori worldview and how that intersects with our current New Zealand context. So um, that's what we're, that's what I'm trying to do here, folks. Um, and uh, so chicken chicken here every week, uh, we'll, we'll be releasing a new podcast. So about the first podcast, um, I've given the place to the first interview to, to uh, Dr. Alastair Reese. Now Alastair is um, an amazing amazing person, he's a good friend, um, but I first heard Alastair talk back in 2008. Um, he was the first person I ever heard unpack the history of Christianity in Aotearoa before. And when he did, um, when I first heard that, my uh, really my life has changed since hearing his this, the stories. Really, he unpacks history in an amazing way. And uh, not only more does he unpack history, but he is a person who has learned from the mistakes of our New Zealand history, particularly when it comes to Christianity. Um, and has reorientated his life from being, a, um, in, a in a way, a charismatic Pentecostal church minister-type uh, prophetic ministry into uh, really learning from the Māori worldview. Um, and uh, he is a, he's, he's an incredible man and, and, and a great person to learn from. So I've wanted to give the first interview and the first space to um, share his or to share his corridor with with us here on who you come home. Um, the other thing that would help you uh, that you need to know about this podcast for this first episode is that the uh, recording is terrible. Um, just to let you know, several months ago, uh, Mayor uh, Andrew Judd, the Mayor of New Plymouth. Um, Called for a hikoi uh, from the Mayoral Chamber office in New Plymouth to Hikoi out to uh, Parihaka, a community in Taranaki that was deeply affected by the land wars back in the 1800s. Um, and so, uh, this interview is done with Alastair while both of us are walking on this hikoi. Um, so. Uh, we're on the road. It's windy. There's lots of people talking. There's traffic going in and out, uh, going by uh, uh, cars, tooting, So look, it's 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 not the greatest recording um, that there's ever been, but there is some. There's just some fascinating talk, and what Alistair has to say on our identity as New Zealanders, particularly our identity as Pakeha New Zealanders. What he has to say uh, about what the what te Tiriti or Waitangi means to him, about what the treaty means to us as a country, he's got some really good thoughts to say. And so in spite of the terrible audio quality, um, I really do hope that you will find some good stuff in here that um, might help you uh, on your journey and might help us as far as uh, New Zealand society goes. So Kia Ora, let's get into it. So really, what's uh, what's brought you to this uh, hikui today?
1: Oh, two things Jay. Firstly, I needed the exercise. <laughs> um, secondly, I've heard um, Andrew speak several times when we've been at Putihaka, describing his journey as a recovering racist and uh, I've really enjoyed listening to him and hearing his heart and I just felt he had in a lovely way with him that you know demonstrated a kind of leadership that we need Uh, he's been floating the idea of of a hikoi for some time now and um, so I've been watching with interest to see whether it would take place and then uh, I was at Parihakara again a couple of weeks ago when he said it's all go and this is what we'd like to do and even then it was just still taking shape of what it would look like so um, (coughs) yeah given that we had some space or made space really it's a sort of symbolic kind of thing which I think is a really helpful way of actually signaling to people the need we have and and um, also it's a lovely way of actually seeing the land and hearing people's stories and getting to know people and all of that so there's a lot of dimensions to it so um, yeah that's probably the main
0: reason. So um, how how come like Taranaki is a pretty special place for you? How like what's what's your journey with this
1: uh well i'll borrow a phrase from um i think it was guy mayor blumsky from wellington Hi. he said you can't beat wellington on a good day but i think you can't beat taranaki on a good day <laughs> um, okay so it's long,
0: long so yeah how long
1: long association going back to the late 70s I first went to Parihaka as a young guy and was welcomed into, onto the PA uh, by a group of old queer who have all passed on now Auntie Marge and Auntie Ina and Auntie Netta and uh, just completely blown away by the hospitality, firstly, the love, the aroha of those people and then being invited into the story that they had. That story around Putihaka, but probably, uh, you know, on an even wider level, the story and, and the reality that there were, uh, there was another world in in this land that I didn't know anything about, and so that was just an extraordinary uh, uh, situation for me to be uh, invited into.
0: So um, walking, you know, walking here today on this, I guess, you know, because of Mayor Judd and what he's experienced. Um, with the racism here in Taranaki and all that sort of thing? I mean, you've been coming here for decades. If like, but even though you don't live here, do you like? Have you felt? Have you felt that at all down here? Felt what? I guess that. You know, racism is a strong word, but um, I don't know. Do you? Are you aware of that sort of sentiment? Sentiment down here at all? I probably,
1: I probably wouldn't use the word. Uh, racist Except that to say that we're that that seed probably dwells in all of us right, right. Uh, You know, yeah. and, I, and I'm aware it crouches at my door around uh, At certain times if if I if I let it have a, an opportunity but I, th- I think it's a lot of it is to do with uh, two things one is an ignorance around who we are, and uh, an ignorance around our history, and secondly, probably a fear—a fear that uh, some, if we opened our hearts to the <laughs> the potential, or the, or if we opened our hearts to a bicultural journey, it might lead into places that we that we wouldn't want to go, so I think there's a right. bit of a fear-based thing there.
0: So how, I mean, how do you, how, how did you over, how did you, I guess, how did you, how were you confronted with that own fear yourself, how did you combat that fear and, I mean, you know, what, I guess what's the way f- forward when we as New Zealanders might experience that around something that we feel but can't really explain why we might feel that fear? I think um,
1: f- fundamental to that area of fear is the willingness to give pe- to forego some kind of control and power, and you know that operates in our lives at all kinds of levels. Uh, you know that operates in my life on a personal level with people that I op- that I live with, and so you know that you extrapolate that out into the political realm around control of resources and all of that Uh, so somehow i think what certainly helps me is a a trust in a a trust in god that he's got my back (laughs) and that i don't have to i don't have to guard my (laughs) everything around me i can actually uh, let let go of it uh, and and let other people have space and uh, and let other people uh, prosper and succeed in that and that's not necessarily going to be to my detriment um and you know though i guess there is a possibility that it could be as well on some levels you know economically but those i think that's ultimately if we're talking about you know real the real democratic process that's what's that's what's needed i mean i might
0: i mean it'd be good to talk about the democratic process and both local body politics and I don't know national politics soon but um you know what from your I mean from your perspective the story of Taranaki like what you know as New Zealanders that you know we don't we don't know the history or know you know you, you know one of New Zealand's biggest dairy dairy industry you know part of I think 20% of New Zealand's dairy industry comes from Taranaki but um, I mean what would you say just to you, know, you know your average Joe New Zealander what, what what do we need to know about Taranaki and what's what what, what do you think is here that uh, has something to say to us as a nation well I think that
1: probably the first thing is that we'd all have a willingness to to get around the table and and hear what each other have to say so if i was <clears throat> wherever we live uh, as ma as Pākehā or as, as maori can we find spaces and places where we can listen to each other's story and i think that's if we can uh, if we can facilitate that and i'm hoping that this hikoi uh, will facilitate that to some extent bring people together uh, who will who will listen because I think that, that I think it's the listening rather than you know having one doctrinaire history that's recorded for everybody and, and saying you know you must believe this and 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 behave accordingly that that the stories that are filtered through people's hearts are the ones that we need to hear so in Taranaki, it's just, it's just rich, it's rich and it's poor. Right. It's rich in You're its right. stories and it's poverty stricken in some areas because of the stories. So right. you've got those, um, and I think um, it's changing a little bit now, but ironically, Maori are rich in their stories, but they're they're poor in resources right. traditionally pakeha are rich in the resources but they're poor in their stories we're impoverished around memory and all of those things so um maybe right. we could find ways to to rebalance that out. i mean
0: um ellie i remember talking to a friend who works down here a couple of years ago and she teaches maori in schools here at and um you know she had a like a 10 year old boy come up to her and go Mrs blah 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 I think you're full of blankety blank blank beep you lost the land get over it (laughs) you know we're talking about a 10 year old kid who's probably now 12 or 13 you know um and he yeah he said that's what his father told him how how do we what do we have to say like what do we want to say to that gener- that generation of a 10-year-old growing up now what do you what, you know what would you want to say to them
1: well you'd need someone who's more skilled than me in responding to a 10-year-old child <laughs> uh, th- one of the things that I would try to find a way of saying is is that how you want to live do you want to live whereby it's only the the right of the mighty or the might of those that actually have the, the power that determines how well to live. If you're going to live like that, you're going to have to watch your back all the time. Right, right. And uh, so, because what you're really saying is, you know, it's the... the everything of prosperity goes to the, to the mighty. Right. So you better watch out if there's another group that actually arises who who are, who are mighty unless we set some kind of uh, uh, what we would call civil society this is what we're talking about how does how does society live civilly together and uh, you know many of our European our ancestors prided themselves on the level of our civilization around law and development of the undergirding of that law etc so is that? that would be the way that I would obviously wouldn't say that to a 10 year old boy find no, someone thats that that could that translate that for me right
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh um, um, so Mayor uh, you know Mayor Judd has been you know he has been very adamant like he, he doesn't want to he doesn't presume presume to speak on behalf of Maori um, but as you know what he calls a recovering racist you know he's very clear like he wants to especially open up conversation with his you know like our European brethren um like what what's the what's some key ways to for us as with you know with a European background and understanding what's some what, what would you find some key ways to open up understanding
1: yeah, uh, that's a really challenging question, Jay, and that's. Uh, I'm not sure that, I'm, that we've, got, we've done that very well. One thing I do know is it doesn't help to be strident about these things, and timing is really important, uh, and um, waiting and just positioning and looking for a, an opportunity where hearts ready to engage in those sorts of conversations Um, yeah it's a very um, like this what we're doing today is just this is an inspiration that has come to somebody uh, and the that inspiration is suggesting that this semi kind of foolish thing we're doing today walking a whole group of people walking down the coast is going to do something to help break um, relationships between uh, Māori and non-Māori um, and I'm sure it will to some in some kind of way that we may never even find out we may never know so I think it's a matter of being creative as everyone has such a unique way of communicating we've all got relationships family non-family business and you negotiate those and look to, look to ways that you can um, win people.
0: So, you've you recently done your doctorate on Pākehā identity. I um, mean, two questions. What, um, I mean, describe for us, and you know, when you, with your understanding, like the Pākehā identity, and then describe that. What, is that, what does that look like in relationship with Māori? The
1: well, one of the things I've discovered in going around the Motu uh, around the, over a period of years, which was c- in s- counterintuitive in some sense, is that when I've been, to- Hello. <laughs> uh, been talking to people around the story of the land, and, and a lot of that is around the loss of land, loss of tikanga for Māori, and I mainly speaking to park out people, I would expect, I would have expected park out to to being really, um, I guess, humbled and, 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 and somewhat um, impacted by the, the depth and the, and of that loss. But what surprised me is often the responses been, oh, Māori know who they are, but who are we? Which, I mean, it's a non sequitur. That's almost like you c- they don't even follow on, but that's, the, that's been the response. So what, what I discovered from that, and that relates back to that question we're talking about of fear. That there was a deep insecurity around Pākehā in terms of their identity, of who they were. Uh, and um, as a sociologist has called that the the existential ache of Pākehā, uh, the ontological dilemma, to use the, <laughs> the big phrases. So, um, And as a result of that, you can see it in some of our literature, you can see it in some of our... Um, things that some people have been saying and to give an example Michael King uh, a person who I hold in really high regard a very, in really high esteem. He was someone who was very influential in my own personal journey around these things. He made a statement in one of the books he wrote uh, called uh, Being Pākehā Now. He said, um, uh, if you Basically, it's just something like this: if you, you know, if you love the trees and you love the land, uh, you're indigenous. Yeah, we're, right, right. we're we're all indigenous. Right. So that uh, I, w- I was t- quite concerned about that. See, that's a that's a reaching out for identity. It's a, right, a right. reaching out of out to say, how do we belong here? Right. And I was concerned uh, that that actually, what I would call as uh, it's re. Um, rehabiting uh, uh, colon the colonizing tendencies really and um Trevor Mallard who was actually at the at the time the the Minister of, of Race Relations in the Labour par- Parliament he says I'm from Wainui Umata, and I'm Indigenous too so I wanted to I felt that yes there's got this need uh, to belong need to have an identity what you know, what could it look like for Pākehā without actually rehearsing that colonising uh, practice again, because the, to actually claim indigeneity it's subtly, it really um, minimises or, or yeah, undermines uh, the claim of Māori to be Tangata Whenua and all that means, which of course is a whole another big subject. So what I attempted to do was to look at that and say how can we find some ways of belonging uh, that don't uh, (laughs) threaten maori and uh, as a result of that i proposed the covenant of the treaty uh, as a as a place of identity for for pakeha that 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 the that the treaty in its covenantal um, framework provided a place of belonging that's not based upon what you do to deserve it or or how you live or any of those things its actually the treaty was an act of grace a gift of grace Uh, so mirrors very much in that way the reconciliatory gift of of the gospel to us um, as opposed to a a gospel of works it's a gospel of grace a gospel it's a gift so I suggested and for me that's been a very helpful uh, metaphor that uh, has made me feel very confident in where i belong because uh, it's not a shifting sand it's not a a wannabe thing it's not how how uh, you know how much maori i speak or anything like that it's i'm here uh, because this covenant has given me a place to stand at tūranga waiwai
0: and you're saying that the treaty can help so you're saying that the treaty is a place for European, New Zealanders, Pākehā to actually take pride that this is a part of Who I am slash who we are in, in our identity, is that what you're
1: saying? That's exactly right. So it become, we become people of the treaty or as, as um, Judge uh, Eddie Jury says, Tangata Tiriti, people of the treaty and it's in that place which I liken to the marriage union, that you can then, on that basis, negotiate our relationship with Māori. So it's coming from that place of belonging and working out, you know, how do we live together from this this place of belonging, rather than uh, striving, you know, always striving to try and be something that we can never live up to in some ways. To make ourselves acceptable as Kiwis, right. whatever that might look like. So that was why I, that's what I explored in, um, in that thesis.
0: So in, in that, I mean, my second question was, what does that look like in relationship with Māori? So, I guess to you, obviously that would look like, in a way, honouring the Treaty in some some regards. So I mean, what does that what's that partnership look like for you? Like, what do you long to see?
1: Yes. Yeah, so honouring the treaty means, uh, first of all, acknowledging that the treaty is a sober thing. It's a serious thing. I use the term covenant, which has a lot more, uh, a lot more, shall we say, gravitas to it than uh, being a contract uh, in law. It's a, it's a, it's a sacred thing.
0: back again so the question we were in is um, what does you know, honouring the treaty look like what does the treaty look like in partnership to you Ellie, what's your what's your vision what's your hope
1: well I think that, as I said before the first thing is actually acknowledging and understanding what the treaty is that it exists it isn't going away uh, it's you know, it's it's a lifetime commitment. The other thing is, nat- is recognizing what I would call the spirit of the treaty, which is an invitation into relationship, as opposed to looking at it in, in hard analytical legal terms and trying to sort it out from that perspective. I think if we d- discover the treaty relationally and explore it together in that way, it's a, it'll pr- provide a much better uh, stronger foundation for being able to move forward so I like the idea of the of the marriage metaphor and one of the reasons the marriage metaphor if we use uh, a biblical sense that Paul talked about at, at the core of that marriage relationship is the sacrifice of self Whereas you are called to honor the other above yourself, or as we say in Christian terms, lay down your life for the other. And I think that that's exactly what is required within the treaty relationship, as opposed to most of the conversations so far have been what rights do we have within this arrangement? And that's understandable, uh, you know, on a lot of levels. But I think in terms of longer term, my pers- my way of actually working out what does it mean to be in this treaty relationship is how can I live that will actually honour my treaty partner? How can I live that will enable them to uh, l- prosper? What is the environment that I could nurture that will actually enable them to be all that they can be? And uh, my hope would be that that would be reciprocated in some way.
0: Right.
1: That, that Māori would say, OK, how can we live and how can we function that will facilitate the life of these new settlers to the land.
0: Um, so if that's the case like this, sometimes when we go to maybe putting practicality to that idea, we think institutionally, so okay, what is you know, what's the government gonna do or what's this such and such organisation gonna do? Like to, to, to do that, what do you what do you think can someone who might even be listening to this or someone just new to the to the their hearts being pricked, they need to know more about money or whatever. But what, what can someone do practically to move forward into that sort of story?
1: Well, I think a good place to begin is actually to learn the story to know the story which means asking and inquiring about the treaty itself and just getting some understanding of, of its historical uh, location and then moving uh, beyond that into that present question which would ask how should I then live. And l- listen, that's that's a creative thing. It's a it's use there's a, the use of the imagination there. If we only rely upon the c- the government or district councils to make laws around the treaty, uh, you know, laws are a blunt instrument uh, to uh, to control uh, human uh, behaviour. Uh, I mean, that's of course they're, they're there for the lawbreakers. <laughs> we want to be ahead of that so i i would encourage this ways for example that um as parkia, we can look at maori and we can say okay what have they lost uh, over this last 150 close to now 200 years what have they lost since you know the treaty was signed where they lost the language lost their culture lost their land lost their identity and of course that's all generalizations so i would one of that for me that's that's one way that i look at it and say okay so in what way can i be part of that solution and you that can be on a micro level of as an individual to you know your maori neighbors or again that can reach right up into the strat uh, stratus of, of um legislation
0: so, so a month ago, we both of us we met. We met Andrew Jard and we heard his, caught it all around why he wanted to do the sequel and that sort of thing. One of the stories he was sharing with us was of a man who walked into his office one day with a, with a with a Bible, and attempted to, quote scriptures about why, his belief in having Maori representation was anti, anti-Christian, <laughs> anti-God. Uh, which you know, it's just absolutely stupid and crazy. But I mean, what would you, you know, here's a question really, i just love your thoughts around for the, for for a, for a Christian audience. Like, what would you want to say specifically to a, you know, to a, to a Christian audience around this around this sort of coppa One
1: of the first things I would want to talk around is where is God in this or is God in this and begin to open up that dialogue and perhaps hopefully be able to to suggest that that God is actually very close very much involved in this whole area and that brings some two things it brings a level of confidence because it means that god is undergirding if we cooperate with him but it also brings uh, i think a healthy awe or, or healthy you could even say fear uh, because we talked about the fact before that the treaty is covenantal in its nature and for those people that were haranguing andrew with the bible I would remind them very clearly about things like the Gibeon, uh, Gibeonite treaty made with uh, Israel, and how seriously God uh, took that treaty. Uh, Five hundred years later, just to uh, just to sort of reiterate to them, if they really want to be judged by the scriptures on these things, there's some pretty strong precedents that are fairly specific, you don't have to extrapolate too far outside in the subject matter in terms of being able to see that uh, that treaties, political treaties, are viewed by God in a very serious way.
0: So that would be one thing that I would be saying to them. Um, I I spoke at a Christian conference last week actually and um, I, I asked the audience, so, you know, just try and give me some honest reflection here. Like, what are your thoughts around the treaty? Bro, look at that wave. Awesome. Uh, We're well, walking State Highway 45, <laughs> folks. Surf's pumping out there. Beautiful day in Taranaki. But, um, yeah, so I spoke at this conference and I asked people for their feedback. You know, what do they think about the treaty? And one, uh, and one person, and I was really appreciative of he commented, but one person's just... Yell out! Yelled out! Gravy train. You know his uh, his perspective was that the treaty is a uh, mechanism that milks funds for for, for, for Maori, so to speak. I mean, like you know, again, to someone, you know, how to someone in a particularly in a Christian context, although it doesn't have to be, like, what do you say? How could you? maybe what would you want to say to that perspective what would would you say to that perspective
1: well obviously I I don't know exact everything behind the person's question but my sense would be that that person uh, has been reading selectively and listening to the media around what happens in terms of the Watangi settlements and uh, they would be making judgments of how they would perceive that people have been using that process to their own ends, whether it be lawyers or whether it would be uh, Iwi leaders. I imagine they're referring to that uh, feathering their own nest, perhaps. So, so um, my response to that is that uh, there'll always be uh, abuses. Uh, human nature being what it is, that it, that it that any process that we will use uh, will have people f- involved that are feathering their own nest right. so that's one one thing and, but the, the second thing is I think it's really that assumption is based upon uh, a fairly upon misinformation for the most part around the fact of the whole process it's a it's showing a real lack of understanding, a around the depth of what's involved in the area around uh, treaty settlements, and that that's again an indication that people haven't explored the story of the land. They they're, they're not aware of it, and um, so they can you know, they make these I would call them knee-jerk responses. So i ought to just invite them again <laughs> that uh, there's that beautiful adage of Jesus, isn't it? You should know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And right. and maybe um, get some understanding of the nature of what these settlements are, and just that they're not handouts. They're a minuscule. They're a, a tiny effort to. Well, they're attempts at justice right. to write some things that have been terribly wrong on everybody's, by everybody's um, definition and measurement. And just to close that, as people, is now sort of more commonly understood that the settlement process is returning to Māori something like two or three percent in terms of the value of what was lost during that colonisation right. period. So it's 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 tiny. There's certainly not a gravy train.
0: Well, uh, that, Jay that nice? Is that right? It's pretty fun out there, folks. Looks pretty nice. Um, look, Mayor Judd has obviously said that he is not um, running for the mayoralty office again, the mayoral office again, um, and he has his reasons for that. Um, just in closing, not not that I want, I don't want any opinion on what he should do or he shouldn't do, but you know, he, um, you know, as a, as a mayor, he has exposed some issues, and he feels that as mayor, he can't do as much on those issues as he can um, if he was in the office. Like, um, I guess when it comes to political leadership, you know, when it comes to politics. Um, like what, like what would you what would you want to say what what would be your advice to that you know young people get involved in that type of leadership of you know civil leadership
1: i almost feel like it's an invitation for me to stand as mayor um
0: you got a shift down there, bro? <laughs>
1: well uh, ja- is it oh, the, i will when you will <laughs> is it james that said that you know he asp- they that aspire to leadership aspire to a good thing. There's a, a real dearth of visionary leadership in the land, and we need leaders have got vision. Uh, and so, I would encourage people to, th- to think s- seriously is that that kind of um, leadership as a servant role is something to is certainly something to aspire to. Uh, so, yeah. Anyone who's listening, uh, start canvassing.
0: <laughs> oh well, kia ora Alistair. It's uh, nice to have you talking for this inaugural Who You Come Home podcast. We will definitely have some more conversations as we move into the future. So uh, kia ora Mato. Uh, kia ora Jay. That was Dr. Alastair Reese recorded live on the peaceful province hickory that Mayor Andrew Judd from New Plymouth hosted several months ago. Look, it was a, it was a fascinating walk. Um, it was amazing to meet people on the road, talk to people. Um, it was amazing to even feel the vibe from people down there who weren't quite sure about what we were doing. It was amazing to... Um, have people pull the fingers at us as we walk past because they don't really care about our histories nor about the stories that form the present. So um, uh, yeah, it was a it was a fascinating journey. Um, look, a couple of things. First, um, Google Dr. Alastair Reese. You could probably find his master's thesis online. Um, he writes some fantastic stuff uh, on on our history and on our story, particularly as Christians. Um, and of course, the other thing is that. Um, yeah, uh, check in here next week because there will be more "Who We Come Home podcasts coming out. Uh, we want to have um, someone talking about these things every week. We want to be able to resource, um, particularly you folks who are in the church, um, as I am. Uh, and we want to be able to uh, talk about the Christian faith. We want to talk about Maori worldview. And we want to talk about New Zealand society and culture and uh, where those things interact. Uh, So that is the Huia Come Home podcast. That's what it's all about. So um, why don't you check in and have a listen to what some people who are on this journey and trying to flesh that out and what they're doing. So we've got some great people lined up for you to listen to. So check back in next week. Uh, Other than that, uh, ka kite anō. We'll see you again soon.